Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of Reconciling Grace. This is Pete Vecchi. I'm one of the associate pastors for West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene. On our panel today are Mick Wells. Mick is the president of Wells of Salvation Ministry. He is one of the co-hosts of the Cross Connection radio program. Also with us today is Vicki Cundiff. Vicki is one of the staff pastors for Countryside Church of the Nazarene in Lebanon, Ohio. And the fourth member of our panel today, and honestly, this is basically our regular panel, so it is Steve Wilson. Steve is a graduate of United Theological Seminary in Dayton. He is a freelance Christian author, and Steve has the topic today of why must I be saved in this life? So Steve, what have you got for us? Right, so we all know why we need to be saved ultimately. Right? We know that there's a heaven, there's a hell, there's an eternal disposition. And so we need to be saved from that. We need to be saved from the consequences of our sin. Romans 3.23 should be a familiar verse. says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I just want to point out real quick that it says sinned in the past tense. So we need the Savior to save us from our past sins. But it also says, and we fall short of the glory of God. That fall short is present tense. We do fall short. We continually fall short. And so even though we might have been saved once, we need Jesus to continue saving us in this life. But we live in a time where a lot of people don't really feel the weight of their sin. They don't acknowledge their sin. Um, we live in a relativistic, relativistic culture in which... You know, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. And we don't really go by the moral absolutes anymore, especially not the moral absolutes of the outdated book we call the Bible. So there's very little shame uh, among society today. On top of that, most of us are fairly comfortable here in America. We don't need to think about heaven because we don't need to escape from this life. Uh, Karl Marx said, religion is an opiate for the people, meaning your life is bad now. And so to help you get through this life, you think about what's to come. You have hope for the next life. We don't really need that in America. Mm -hmm. Most of us are doing just fine. We don't have to stake all of our hope on what's ahead. Now, before you go on, Steve, I want to make sure that our listeners understand that you are being facetious when you're calling the Bible an outdated book. I'm speaking from society's viewpoint. Okay, okay. Yes. So, without much shame for our sins and without this desire for a better life, how can we reach people today and convince them that they need a Savior, not only for the future life, but for this life? So, the real question comes down to what's in it for them? What's in it? For people today as they live their daily lives, what can we offer as the benefits of believing in Christ? I think that starts with speaking about Jesus in our daily life. You know, not that you're preaching at people, 
but this is what Lord does for me. You know, taking advantage of those opportunities. But for me, it's not really so much like I'm trying to do that. It just comes out of my mouth, you know, something uh, blessing that I've had. or uh, So it's about the relationship. I think that if we try to convey it that it's a relationship, and this is what this relationship means to me, this is how it helps me, and the presence of God walking with me daily in my life and making that real to people in that sense to make them desire to want that too because they really need to see that Jesus is in us by how we live. And so we have to portray that also on a, on a daily basis mm-hmm. to see something's different about us and, and ask why. One of the things that I hear when you say that, Vicki, is our testimony. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it in our lives? Um, there is a passage of Scripture, I can't remember the chapter and verse right offhand, where it talks about being prepared to give a reason for our hope in the gospel And one of the things that becoming a Christian did for me way back in the ancient days of 1980, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, was I I still remember running into somebody from high school a couple of years later, um, and they had said that they were so glad to see that I had a direction in life now because I had been kind of directionless the way that they had remembered me. Well, I didn't really realize that, but when I stopped and thought about it, I said, well, yeah, I, I, I have a reason for living. I have something that is my my utmost goal right now, and that's to glorify Jesus Christ. I think the, the basic problem is not so much here are all the benefits. It's It's actually comes before that. How do you get them in this culture and this mindset to recognize, A, there is a God, B, I need that God, I need to be saved. Uh, A lot of people out there claim to be agnostics and and atheists, which means, agnostic I guess means that they've considered it and they don't have enough information to make a judgment. An atheist though has made a weighted uh, assessment of it and decided there absolutely is no God. So how do you convince somebody that they need a God, that they need to be saved? The, the, the atheist is going to say, well, there is no God, so you know this is pointless to even talk about. Right, so thinking about this atheist, you know, I think that we all have this hunger for meaning in our lives. We, um, my dad is an atheist. And he said, well, there is no God. You know, I wish there was. I could, I could wish that there's um, an eternal home for me. I could wish that I'm going to see my loved ones again. But he just doesn't believe that. And so I wonder, well, what gives his life meaning? You know, he says, well, I find meaning in my children that I raised. I find meaning in knowing that I will live forever uh, in the influence that I've had on them. And I just think there's got to be something more than that. You know, I, I was, um, I guess I wasn't exactly an atheist for a while, but I was uh, very confused. I claimed that I wasn't a Christian for a while because of some of the questions that I had. And I was depressed. I thought there's got to be something worth dedicating my life to, well, it's not patriotism, it's not the work world, it's not any of these other religions or philosophies 
that I'm looking into, there's got to be something to give my life to, to give my life meaning. And, you know, if your meaning is found in your children or in your work or in your, um, uh, your hobbies, you know, eventually all of those things will let you down. It reminds me of the book of uh, Ecclesiastes when Solomon wrote, basically, everything is meaningless, um, at least as far as things in this world go. And, you know, I've kind of found that kind of exactly what you said, Steve. I mean, it's not like we don't have any interests outside of Christianity or outside of church. I mean, I really enjoy baseball. I, you know, enjoy watching golf or playing golf. Um, not like I'm a great golfer. In fact, I'm a pretty lousy golfer, but I, I enjoy watching it as much as I enjoy playing it. You know, and I think we probably all have things that interest us, but the question comes down to, are we living for those things, or are they just part of, you know, what we enjoy here? And again, I think it still goes back to relationship. They've got to see something is different about us. And to not maybe not know it's the Holy Spirit that's in you, but they, they wonder, you know, I've had somebody ask me one time, it was an unbeliever, and I hardly knew them. He said, Vicki, do you go to church? And as soon as that person asks that question, the Holy Spirit rose up inside of me and said, you, you, you say more than you just go to church. And so I said, well, I do go to church, but I'm a believer in Christ. But it was because of what they saw, the happiness or something like that of what they saw. And so, but I think most of all, it's when we go through the hardships of life, and we do. I mean, there's some terrible things that can happen to us. They see our response, and they see our faith, and they see that, that peace or that groundedness in God, that trust, and, and that we can... You know, not that we don't get upset or things like that. I'm not saying that, but they just see the difference and they see Christ in us. That's what's going to win people over, I think, more than anything else, especially the atheist that doesn't want to hear the words. Yeah, Vicki, I agree wholeheartedly. I've had people come up to me and ask me, how can you be so positive and uh, looking to God? They're seeing something more mm-hmm. than I can argue in terms of uh, point counterpoint. On, on scripture. They're actually seeing an example of faith lived out. And I think that's important. You take an atheist, for instance, they don't believe in God, therefore I got to believe they don't even believe in sin. And so they're going to say saved or salvation from what? Because they don't have anything to tie it into. But yet you're a living example that there is something there and something spiritually tangible and uh, I recall a, a lady who used to work for me, and uh, some fellow who was not a Christian came up to her and said, there is something different about you. There is, you have a, a brightness and a hope. You have something I need. And I think that's uh, a perfect illustration of the type of thing that God would uh trust that people would see in followers of Jesus. And I've basically had that as well, almost that very thing said to me just out of the blue. And I just smiled inside because I thought, you're just seeing the Holy Spirit. It's not me. When you feel something around you, it's not me. It's what they're feeling by the Spirit. So I say that to say the Spirit of God is going to get out on us and influence people when we don't realize it without our words sometimes. It reminds me of the old saying, and um, I've been convinced here in the last few minutes that it's from (laughs) St. Francis of Assisi that says, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Right. So we've talked about 
Well, why do we need a Savior in this life? One, we need that relationship. We need the comfort and the strength that He gives us in hard times. We need the meaning that uh, having God in our lives uh, gives to our lives. So, I mean, there's some more uh, things that we can hit on this topic, but we'll do that after our break. back with Reconciling Grace. And today we're talking about why do we need a Savior in this life? We know why we need a Savior for eternal life, but we don't live just for the life to come. We have to get through this life first. And there are many benefits that having Christ, having God in our lives gives to us now. In fact, uh, one of the interesting things is if you look through the Old Testament there are not many instances where they talk about eternal life. Uh, you will find hints, you'll find um, some references, especially looking back on it, we can say, oh, well, that was talking about heaven, or that was talking about hell, or that was talking about uh, some kind of eternal consequence. Uh, you see things like Enoch and Elijah being taken up to heaven. But by and large, the Israelites, the Jewish people living in that time, didn't think that that was something that was going to happen to everybody. They thought, well, the consequence for our sin is death, and that's it. They had no idea that our soul would go somewhere else after we die. And yet, they still lived for God. They still said, we need to obey God, and God will bless us in this life for our obedience to him here and now, not for later, but for now in this life. So I wonder what kind of blessings do you think they were looking for? And what kind of blessings does God give us in our life now? As far as what they were looking for, the Old Testament seems to indicate that almost all of the blessings were earthly. Again, not every single one of them, kind of like what you said, Steve, especially looking with hindsight, but they were looking for things like inheritance, looking for things like the land, uh, looking for things like God's blessing in this life. So that seems to be the kind of thing that the Old Testament people seem to be looking for. And I guess that answers the first part of your question. Well, I think that... Uh... God made it very clear to them by giving them the law that he was looking for providing them a, a way to stay in a relationship with God, even as their faith was prospective, looking forward to the time when the penalty for sin would be paid by Jesus Christ. I do think, just as a little counterpoint here, uh, if the Israel, to the extent the Israelites looked to their King David and what he recorded in the book, I think that shows that there was hope, at least at his level. Uh, when uh, King David's infant son died, he said, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. That's a clear implication. He was looking to be with his son in an afterlife. And then, of course, the very well-known uh, verses from uh, Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And the Psalm, verse 6 says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's an expectation of eternal life there in, in Old Testament times. And, but still, I think the Bible's made clear that uh, 
all of us, whether we lived in Old Testament times or now, uh, we have an inherent nature that's hostile toward God. Romans tells us that. Chapter 8, verses 7 and 8 says that we, we are spiritually dead. That's from Colossians 2.13, dead in trespasses and sin. And Romans 8, 7 and 8 says we have a basic innate hostility toward God. So I think there was clearly uh, a feeling or an, an inner knowledge of the Old Testament people that they needed God. But as, uh, as Steve has pointed out, uh, much of that came through the ministry of Jesus in the New Testament, the knowledge of it. Mm -hmm. Right, so we see Jesus a couple of times talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and you see that tension where, yes, some Jewish people were picking up on those hints. The Pharisees in particular believed that there was eternal life. The Sadducees read the Old Testament and said, no, there's not. Um, in fact, they thought there's no supernatural beings at all, but it's all about this life. But I think about the blessings that God gives us now, and I think about Romans 8.28 where it says, He works together all things for the good of those who love Him. And I cannot tell you how many times things have worked together for me in this life simply because I was a believer, simply because God was um, somehow smiling down on my life, somehow taking care of me when things really shouldn't have worked out. Now, we know that Jesus said God lets his sun shine and his rain fall on believers and unbelievers, but there's also those times where we know that God rewards the righteous, and sometimes those things are um, tangible benefits. Sometimes those things are earthly benefits. Sometimes those things are material blessings where, um, you know, God will, will bless us with, uh, I don't want to say wealth, but um, provision. God will provide for our needs. God will sometimes miraculously do that. And so I think the Jewish people of the Old Testament, they saw those things and they knew that that was a benefit of having God in their lives, even without banking on eternal security. Does anyone else have any stories about how God has blessed them in this life? Oh, I don't know how much time have we got. I think probably all of us have something, you know, where where things would be like that. I mean, just for instance, when I was first called into full-time ministry, there is absolutely no way that I could live on the amount of money that we brought in. But we did. You know, how does that happen? You know, another thing that I think about is um, it seems very often, for instance, when we talk about tithing, one of the things that often happens there is somehow taking that 10% and giving it to God ends up with you having more than you had if you wouldn't have given it to God. It's just one of those things where 
mathematically it doesn't necessarily make sense, but as a matter of faith, and I'm not saying that you go out there and you tithe in order that you're going to have more money. No, that's not what it is. It's a heart issue when you tithe, but it's just one of those things where I have seen it happen over and over. And of course, the scripture talks about giving with a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and with the measure that you you give, it will be given back to you. So I know a business owner who a couple weeks ago was about to sign to build a house. In fact, he did sign to build a house. Later that night, he found out that uh, his business uh, hadn't lost a lot of money, but uh, something very bad financially had happened for him. And so he thought, oh man, I've just signed to build this new house. Well, it turns out that the computers at the bank were down and his money wasn't processed. In fact, his down payment the day before wasn't processed because they hadn't cashed the check yet. And so he was able to get all of that money back. Um, and, you know, when I heard that story, I thought, well, that, obviously that's God. That's God blessing him. And when we talk about the atheists and the agnostics, you know, those are the kind of things that we can say, look, God is working. God is working for the benefit of people who love him. And it's not coincidence, because that doesn't happen to everybody. I'd like to just point out, too, that not everybody who's a Christian is going to have a financial windfall, or is not always going to be... um, I guess what I'm trying to get away from is the idea of the prosperity gospel that sometimes Mm -hmm. gets preached, is that, well, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to have everything you ever wanted, and you're never going to have any needs. I don't know why I start doing that with a southern accent, but I guess that's the stereotype, you know? (laughs) I like it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, we need to be careful. I mean, I guess what I'm wondering is, are, are there any other stories about this in our lives that don't necessarily have to do with finances? Well, and before you share those stories... Let me say, this wasn't a windfall. This was catching. Mm -hmm. This was catching him from a loss, right? Right. He didn't get rich off this. He just avoided the poorhouse. I think one of the the main benefits to me from living for for Jesus and being saved by his blood is, is the Holy Spirit. Those who don't have the Holy Spirit are missing out on so many things. He's, I'll paraphrase here, he's a down payment on what we're to expect eternally. I think I lean on him the hardest, though, when I don't know how to pray. And there are many things that I approach God, and I just say, I don't know what to say, what to do. I don't know whether to pray in specifics or what the Lord has planned. But I can go to sleep knowing that the Holy Spirit is making uh, intercession for me, and that that he's pleading my case even when I don't know how to even come up with the the thoughts about what to pray for or how to go about it. That's biblical, isn't it? I think so. Yep. I like that, and uh, I agree with you on that uh, as far as the Holy Spirit in our life. And it just came to my mind as you were talking that one of the great benefits is that we don't have to worry now, I know that some people do, <laughs> and Jesus tells us in the sixth chapter of uh, Matthew, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, the worries about this life. And uh, I can honestly say that I never was really a worry ward anyway, you know, as far as that word that people sometimes say. But 
at the same time, there's this peace about not worrying about my future. So if I come into any anxiety or anything, it's usually not about that. It's usually about something else. Maybe it'll concern people or something like that. It's not really, uh, I, I don't worry about how God is going to provide for me. I just trust that He is, and He always does. He always comes through. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that a while back we had an episode where we talked about how does God speak to us, and I'm glad that you brought up the peace part, Vicki, because one of the ways that I sense God in my life is when there's, for instance, a decision to be made. Again, I don't want to make this sound like financial because this might have absolutely nothing to do with financial, or if I'm going through a tough time where it's just that I have this piece about it that, for instance, if I have a decision to make, as I said, that this is the right way to go, or that um, this is the right thing to do, or that God's going to take care of this, and it's that abiding presence of the Holy Spirit within me giving me that peace. Yeah, so I'm hearing peace of mind, peace of spirit, and I'm thinking also about, you know, we have this innate need, I think. We have an innate need to have meaning in our lives. We also have an innate need to know that we're doing okay, uh, that we are acting rightly toward each other. Uh, I think that's, you know, part of the, the gift of the conscience that God gives us. But we have all this confusion of what's right and what's wrong. And well, you know, Vicki says this is okay for her, but I, I really don't think it is. Um, you know, as Christians, we have that peace of mind that we are living in accordance with God's law, in accordance um, with his example and his character. So I think that's another benefit that we have is knowing that we are in a right relationship with him, that we can't have a peace of mind, peace of conscience, peace with each other, even because we know that we're acting rightly toward one another. At least we hope we are. Right. And now, I even think about the fact that we have something bigger than ourselves to think about, and, and that affects our relationships with each other. So if we talk about politics, you know, well, you know what? Politics is not the most important thing to me, so I'm not going to fight you that hard on it, right? Because I have something else uh, more important that I'm thinking about and that I'm hoping gives us unity between each other, even when we disagree on some kind of earthly policy matter, well, okay, we can disagree on that, but we don't have to make that define our relationship because there's something more to it than that. We have that unity in Christ. You know, Steve, you opened up with the scripture from Romans 3.23 that said, for we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it just makes me think about how we do receive all these benefits in this life, uh, but there's also the benefit of heaven and how do we get there? You know, maybe there's some people out there listening that are, are wondering how to be saved. And you know, it's why Jesus came to save us from our sins. Uh, I had looked up days ago this scripture from 1 John chapter 1, beginning of verse 8. And it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, God is so loving. You know, Jesus came to be born upon this earth. He died for our sins. He went and uh, died a cruel death on the cross so that we could not have to uh, live in our sins on this earth and so that we could have eternal life. And so it just simply tells us if we just confess our sins, if we just go to him humbly and we just admit 
that we're a sinner and that we need him and repent of our sins. In other words, turn away from them and not live them anymore. Be very sincere about it. And Jesus will forgive us of our sins. And the Bible says he purifies us from all unrighteousness. And God can clean up our heart, and which then in turn cleans up our acts so, so that we can get great benefit in this life. But the most important benefit of all is that peace of knowing that you have Jesus in this life, but you know that you have eternal life waiting on you as well. Amen. And so if there's anyone out there that needs to be forgiven of their sins, Jesus is waiting with open arms. You just have to come a few words, just ask him to forgive you and invite him in your heart. And if we were to hear that from you, that uh, you asked Jesus into your life because of something you heard here, well, we would praise God. And so, Steve Wilson, I want to thank you for sharing with us today. Mick Wells, Vicki Cundiff, this is Pete Vecchi, and you have been listening to Reconciling Grace. May God bless you. Lord willing, we'll be back again next time. This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.